baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 971 FM Talk Podcast. Mr. Biden, why did you put your dad on speakerphone with your business partners if he had no involvement in your business? Do you have a dad? Did he call you? Yes. Answer the phone? Yes. Okay. But why did you need to talk to him during business meetings if he had nothing to do with your business? Uh, that's Hillary Vaughn from Fox and some good questions. And it's interesting that Mr. Hunter Biden just responded to her as he was doing his walk through the hallways of Congress after he walked out of the Oversight Committee hearing. I'm not even really sure. Fred, good afternoon. Sue, how are you this afternoon? Fine, thank you. I don't even know. And Sue, you might be a good gauge of this because you work in the morning and then you uh, take care of some other business during the day. Were you dialed into what happened at this hearing on Capitol Hill? No. So I'm going to assume that a lot of people don't know exactly what happened. This caught everyone off guard. Republicans... First and foremost, certainly the media, I think the Democrats were in on it because it was a super stunt. So you know how they have subpoenaed Hunter Biden to testify before the House Oversight Committee, and he refused to come to the uh, to the deposition. Well, the committee has a hearing this morning, and Hunter Biden just shows up. What? He, he is in the room. So the Democrats want him to testify, right? Maybe I should play this first. Nancy Mace was, uh, was good this morning, but... Uh, Raskin, who is the minority member, the I guess you'd call him the ranking member, the ranking minority member, they said, hey, let's put him on the stand. You guys want him on the stand? Put him on the stand. What do you think about the fact that the chairman on multiple occasions gave this witness the opportunity to come before the full committee and he agreed to that? We issued a congressional subpoena, and I know with your constitutional law background, you know exactly what that means, and he should have showed up. And because of your vote and because of your statements, you should be voting to hold hold this man in contempt of Congress today, right now. All right. Now, Nancy Mace was pretty good on this, and there were some things that happened I want to play to you this afternoon. I will also say this from the onset. I'm a little confused. We'll see if we can find out more answers this afternoon. Congressman Smith, Jason was in that room. He's a Missouri congressman. He's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. He's not a member of that committee, but he is a of course, one of the three people appointed on the impeachment inquiry. And because of that, my understanding is he had like he had um, permission, if you will, to be in the room and they wanted him there. So he saw all of that. But and I think they talked about this. Um, Fred, you pulled this bite from Fox where Harris Faulkner said the right. same thing that I did. One of the things that that I said after this is and I'm not a constitutional law expert. Kilmeade always accuses me of being a lawyer and I'm not a lawyer, but I'm I'm just an observer, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking Hunter Biden's in the room. They, they want to say things. Before I get to, to the comments from Harris, let me just play you what happened. This was all at the beginning. So Nancy Mace is on this committee, and she's pretty aggressive. Well, my first question is, who bribed Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. No, it's pretty good. you got to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> um, second question, you are the epitome of white privilege, coming into the oversight committee, spitting in our face, ignoring 
a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and- M Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Mr. Chairman, if the gentle lady wants to hear from Hunter Biden, we can hear from him right now, Mr. Chairman. Let's take a vote and hear from Hunter Biden. What are you afraid of? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Order, order, order. Yeah, so that's a good example. As she was saying, are women allowed to speak? And this kind of goes on for a little while. I think that that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. I think you should have decorum and courtesy and don't act like a bunch of... Nimrod. You just interrupted a woman. And, and Ms. Mace. It does not matter who you are, where you come from, or who your father is, or your last name. Yes, I'm looking at you, Hunter Biden, as I'm speaking to you. You are not above the law at all. And you're here for a political stunt. This is just a PR stunt to you. This is just a game that you are playing with the American people. Well, there's a couple things here, and I'm going to address whether or not they should have, you know, basically asked them some questions. It was a stunt. And what people need to know is there's a documentary that's being filmed about Hunter Biden, and the cameras were there. And then he gets up and he walks out, oh, and the cameras are there. So this is um, one more from Nancy Mace because she kind of pounces on this whole deposition thing. Hunter Biden wasn't afraid to sell access to Joe Biden to the highest bidder when he was an elected office. He wasn't afraid to trade on the Biden brand, peddle influence, and share those ill-gotten gains with members of his family, including Joe Biden. He wasn't afraid to compromise the integrity of the presidency and vice presidency by involving Joe Biden in shady business deals with our foreign adversaries. But Hunter Biden, you were too afraid to show up for a deposition. And you still can't today. All right, so that's fine. And, and, but the Democrats came back with, wait a second, he's here right now. So Marjorie Taylor Greene's on this committee. She starts to ask some questions, and then this happens. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Oh, Apparently no. you're afraid of my words. What? He's starting to walk out here. <laughs> he just leaves. Oh. Uh -huh. i like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Burst their bubble. <laughs> Wow, that's too bad. And this is all happening when he's just kind of walking out of the room and people are following him. All the media follows him out. I think it's clear and obvious for everyone watching this hearing today that Hunter Biden is terrified of strong conservative Republican women because he can't even face my words as I was about to speak to him. What a coward. All right, so again, not a constitutional law expert, not a member of Congress, but I'm watching this thing unfold on my couch in my office at home this morning, I'm thinking, well, he is there. Let, let's put him on the stand and call their bluff. Why not call their bluff? I still haven't gotten a good answer for well, that particular. Well, she tried to, didn't she? And then he walked out. No, they weren't going to let him. They weren't going to oh, let him Oh, they testify. weren't going to let him no, no, do no. anything. They, they, they were, the, everything the Republicans did was about making sure that they held him to the deposition. Now, there's a process, and I understand that. You know, we're going to talk to Will Scharf this hour. Will's an attorney. He's a constitutional law expert. He was with President Trump this week arguing on the immunity case. So, and, of course, he's running for attorney general. I want to ask him about that particular procedure. Maybe there's a good legal answer, right? But here's Harris Faulkner and Raymond Arroyo on Fox asking some of the questions that I asked. Because at this point, you know, it's the same thing with, um, with crime in St. Louis. Let's say that it ticks down a little bit. Perception is the reality. And in this particular case, I think majority or, or a good portion of the American people will be left with the thought, well, wait a second, he was there. Why not just ask him some questions, right? Call the bluff. Shame on the Republicans for not being ready. They should have been ready for this. And I would have said, swear the witness in. We're going to question him about his violation so, of the subpoena. So Let's why start not there. do something like that? And so why not actually 
do that. Why not go ahead and take Hunter Biden up on his it. offer? Yeah, swear yeah. you in. Let's get the game started now and take it all the way to Election Day. Right, push and that's, it. And I thought that was interesting, yeah. politically speaking. I don't get it either. And there's smart people on this committee that could have come up with questions. And in lieu of that, you have staffers that are sitting behind you. And you say, okay, we're going to call them right now. We're going to call their bluff. We're going to put them up there. And then you guys start banging out some questions. And we'll press this as far as we can. I think that would have been interesting. Now, I don't know what rule would have prevented that from happening. Uh, but it's, you know, we'll ask Congressman Smith. He's going to come up at the 5 o'clock hour. I don't really know. But that was the one thing that, that certainly I thought of. But it was a hell of a it was a hell of a stunt. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he and that's why I opened with that bite. Maybe now I should replay the bite with Hillary Vaughn, because after all this happens, this was what we opened with. They're walking out with him and he just chooses to answer Hillary Vaughn. Mr. Biden, why did you put your dad on speakerphone with your business partners if he had no involvement in your business? Do you have a dad? Did he call you? Yes. Answer the phone? Yes. Okay. Well, All right, so th- th- this is a great example of a question because that's a question that they could have asked Hunter Biden on the record. And I think the response would, yeah, we all have dads, and maybe dads check with us at inappropriate times when we're in the middle of work. We don't just take the calls and put them on speaker to show that they're the president correct. of the United States or then at the vice president. So all kinds of questions that could have been followed up just with that. But that's the clip you'll see. I guarantee you that's the clip you're going to see in the documentary when they release it. So uh, oh, lots of questions about this. We're going to cover it all here this afternoon. We do have Congresswoman Ann Wagner coming up. She's just back from uh, Gaza and Israel in the Middle East, uh, Qatar. We're going to talk with her about that. And she did announce, even though there were some rumors that she wasn't going to run for re-election, that she is running for election. She was not in that meeting this morning, so I'm not going to really ask her much about Hunter Biden. I mentioned Will Scharf is coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Our friend Alex Rich from Y98 drops by on a Friday. we got Phil Holloway, Fox News legal analyst uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, and then Jason Smith, who is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. We are off and running on a Wednesday edition of The Mark Reardon Show. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Okay, we got Will Scharf coming up. He is running for uh, Missouri Attorney General. He's a former federal prosecutor, and he was with President Trump this week on the immunity hearing. So we'll get with him on that a little later this hour. We got Sue's News in the next hour here on 97.1 FM Talk. Right now, Missouri Congresswoman Ann Wagner of the 2nd District. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little better than when we uh, had an exchange a day and a half ago. I'd just gotten back to the Middle East, and believe me, I was— uh, the next day, I slept till two o'clock. We weren't in session, of course, but till two o'clock in the afternoon, I was so wiped out. But uh, it was an incredible trip. Five countries, including Israel and in the Middle East, uh, a mile and a half away from Gaza Strip in the in the the war. So it was it was some kind of trip. Well, but. let me let me circle back on that just for a moment, and let's talk about the uh, the politics. And you referred to you were texting me the other day. It was the day that Nick Shore came on the show, and there was an allusion to the fact that maybe because Blaine Lukemeyer last week decided to not run for reelection in the third, that maybe Ann Wagner would do the same. And thank God you came out and said you're going to run because maybe I had to get in this race, Ann. You just never know, right? I'm I'm telling you what, you know, the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. Is all I have to say. So. Uh, <laughs> 
You know, you, you leave town and go incommunicada with a burner phone and, and not able to reach anybody and all sorts of, of wild rumors spread around. And uh, <laughs> based on nothing at all, but, but honestly, I will say this. We're having a, an, a historic turnover on both sides of the aisle this year in terms of members retiring. And I will say this, that my district, Missouri second district and Blaine's district, the third district uh, are right next to each other. They're somewhat intertwined and they've certainly overlapped over two different redistricting. So I could see where some people were, you know, uh, a little confused about where I might be going on this, but, uh, but nothing, uh, I can tell you, it could, couldn't be further from the truth. I am, uh, I am way too much work left to do to give up uh, the fight for everything from, you know, our fundamental freedoms and liberties. Um, I am running for re-election and uh, full throttle, uh, uh, moving straight ahead. I, and I, you know, honestly, with all the retirements, kind of now more than ever, Mark, uh, not only do we need strong conservative leadership experience. In, in Congress, yeah. and it, right? Yeah, we need institutional matters. knowledge. Yep. We need experience. We need somebody with a certain level of seniority who knows how to get things done. Um, you know, it's not just about the big things like, you know, the cost of everything and inflation and the crisis at our border and reckless spending and all of those things. But it's about the other things like constituent services that we do so much for everyday members of the second uh, constituents in the second district. Um, you know, I, I pay attention to our community needs. I'm a workhorse, not a show horse. And I've gotten eight bills passed in this in this Congress, including ones that expand everything from access to our nation's financial markets uh, to more investment uh, opportunities. I mean, I've got protections for the unborn, defending Israel. Uh, but here's what's interesting. Ian. You know, you know, know I, I think that what on. happens, what happens is, is that, and, and I defend you by the way, but there's people out there who say, Oh, Ann Wagner, she's establishment. She's a rhino. And you know, people are saying you should primary Ann Wagner, all this stuff. I, I think it's a bunch of nonsense, especially when it's framed around what Dave Spence said last week, I guess he wants to give tests to Republican candidates. The guy who gave money to Claire McCaskill. I thought that that was oh. funny, but you, you know, that people say these things. I'm not saying you really care, but what would your response be to the person that says, ah, she's a rhino. She's not conservative enough. I'd say this. I was named one of the top 10 most effective members of Congress. And I plan to keep that title and keep working hard to make sure that, you know, Missouri has someone who can get things done in Congress. And that's what I am. I don't let any grass grow under my feet, whether it's, you know, my chairmanship on the Financial Services Committee on Capital Markets, which is, is key to our region. You know, whether it's it's, um, you know, the, the fighter jets that we're we're bringing home to our our Boeing plant, whether it's the backlog of of rape kits, whether I could, you know, I mean, there's just one thing after another that we are doing human trafficking, protecting victims, uh, the NGA facility, the Holocaust Museum in St. Louis. We got them their grant for that. I, I, I just we get things done for the community and. Um, and for the, the constituents that I represent and care about. And, yeah, I, I, I take tough votes on the big things, too, like securing our southern border and uh, reining in spending and trying to get inflation down so that people can, you know, afford things. So it's the big stuff. 
it's the everyday stuff, but we do it, and I think we do it better than um, than anybody else. And I think that more now, you know, now more now than ever, with Blaine leaving, and and honestly, I'll say this: uh, how do I say this artfully? You know, uh, does it involve Cory Bush? Another, another Congress Congressperson from uh, from the yes, uh, yes I guessed it right. Area. I guessed it right. Doesn't, doesn't pull all, all the weight that needs to be pulled too. So you've got to have an adult in the room who's actually delivering and making things happen, yeah. and that would be me. So I'd be honored to uh, have the vote of the constituents uh, in the second district. I am running for re-election. There's just too much on the line, too much to be done, um, and uh, too much. Uh, that's even going on in this in this world of ours. It's on fire. No doubt. And no believe doubt. Believe me, I've seen a I've seen a big chunk of it on fire this past week. Well, let's and, talk about well, that. I yeah, you are vice chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. You're the co-chair of the Abraham Accords Caucus. I was unaware. I, I guess you keep these trips um, kind of quiet until you're back. You went with Joni Ernst and uh, Senator Ted Budd and some others. Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I'd love to hear stories about that personally. But yeah. let's focus on the real important things here. And what what was the purpose? Obviously, the purpose involves everything that's going on over there. But what's the takeaway? Maybe is the more important question right now. Well, we were there in Israel and then four other Middle Eastern states or countries, I'd say Egypt, uh, Qatar, Bahrain, and Jordan. And, and yes, in those positions that I hold in Congress, I want to see the situation on the ground for ourselves. It was bicameral. It was bipartisan. And uh, one of the main focuses was the immediate release of our American hostages that are held by uh, by Hamas. We've uh, the, the, the horrific butchering of the terrorist Hamas that came in uh, to Israel, uh, they also killed, and not only did they kill many Israelis, over 1,200 of them, but they, they killed 30 Americans, north of 30 Americans. And we have at least six hostages, American hostages, still being held. So we had some really tough conversations about that. I met with the hostage families. It was heartbreaking beyond belief. I can't even imagine. And They've been in there for 95 days now and, and, and counting and are in, in bad shape, those that they even know about. Uh, and we, we went to the kibbutz, the kibbutz near Oz, where 80 uh, were killed and 35 to 40 hostages were taken. And we saw the brutality that happened on, the, the, on October 7th uh, in the hands of, of Hamas terrorists. And being just a mile and a half from uh, from the Strip, from Gaza Strip. I mean, we were full on flak jackets, helmets. I, I could hear these AH-64 Apaches firing their their 30 millimeter cannons. There was artillery fire everywhere. And, uh, we could see the the surveillance drones uh, overhead. It was uh, a really tough. Hey, have you seen the video that they edited together of of the attack that some people have been able to see? Have you witnessed that or not? Um, I had had two opportunities to see it, and um, I've seen enough horrific. Yeah, uh, that might stick and, with you. Uh, I just I can't. I just don't think I can do it. Uh, I have seen many pictures and footage, but I haven't seen that movie. I have not. Yeah, uh, well, I get it. I get it. Now, I mentioned Debbie Washerman Schultz, and I like to make fun of her. However, she's Jewish, and I'm guessing she's on the same page on a lot of this stuff as you and I are. Hey, the entire um, congressional delegation, Democrats, Republicans, uh, like I said, Senate, House, 100 percent 
uh, on the same page. And and we had a lot of conversations about, you know, uh, the day after and, and what happens and who's going to govern. Um, I had tough, tough conversations, I will tell you, uh, with the Qataris. I sat across from the sheikh and, and said, you know, look, I uh, put in no uncertain terms, he needs to bring all his leverage to uh, immediately force Hamas to release our American hostages and to eject the Hamas leadership that that uh, Qatar and, and the uh, crown prince continue to harbor. And then, do you know what he said to me, Mark? He said, oh, he stopped me because he interrupted. Uh, Madam Congresswoman, uh, we're not harboring uh, the leadership of Hamas. We're hosting them. You know. No uh, way. Things got, things got a little shaky with the shake, my friend. So uh, it was. And then I really blew my gasket and, and said, look, we work with you on a number of things here, dealing with education and energy and defense. Our Al-Adid air base. Is, is is there in, in Qatar. And I said, either if you are our friend, if you are in fact a friend and ally of America, then you must do everything uh, in your power, not just to you know, first get back our, our hostages, then uh, e- eject uh, the, the Hamas terrorists from your borders. And he pretty much agreed to do so. You know, uh, the Hamas leader that was taken out by the Israelis in Beirut is one that Qatar did eject some years ago. So um, uh, they have the, the ability to both negotiate for our hostages along with Egypt and others uh, and and also to do the right thing in, in rooting out these Iran, yeah. Iranian proxies that are entirely in the in the area. And, and I'm going to tell you, we sat down with heads of state, negotiators, government officials, um, and from all over the region – and uh, I'm, Iran remains, Iran remains our number one enemy in the Middle East. And today, um, Iran is, a, is and its puppets, proxies, whether it's the Houthis that are taking over the Red Sea and, um, uh, and, and our um, Suez Canal or uh, are the Hezbollah or uh, the others that are out there, Pidge, the rest, uh, they are a serious threat to our, our national interests. You know, we've got interests in, um, in the region. We've got American troops uh, and significant assets stationed across the region. And our own soldiers are under constant threat. Iranian proxies um, and Iranian missiles have attacked U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria uh, almost 130 times. And they, the Houthis have attacked, I think yesterday was their 27th merchant ship. Uh, so, I mean, uh, they're, they are trying desperately to destroy both global commerce and, and to kill American troops. And I am I'm also fed up with the Biden administration. They must be much more aggressive and proactive in protecting our U.S. lives and assets. So I have made that very clear to the administration uh, also. And then we, we talked with our Arab partners about the day after and how we will rebuild Gaza. It's not going to be our job to rebuild it. It's going to be theirs. Uh, you can't. It has to be demilitarized, de-radicalized. The terrorists must be gone. And then, you know what, Palestinians with a, you know, a, a team of, of Saudis and UAE, Egypt, Bahrain, um, Israel can put in work on who's going to govern 
uh, the Palestinians in uh, that part of, of Gaza in due time. Uh, but first, uh, and that's a part of our Abraham Accord message. Iran's the enemy. We have to bring the Arab community and Israel together to fight Iran. And we're going to be we're in a hell of a fight right now, like I said, in the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. And uh, it's affecting our own service. Um, I met with with the Fifth Fleet uh, nav sent out of Bahrain. I was at Al-Udid in, in Qatar. We've got thousands of soldiers up there. We're putting in Patriot batteries to make sure that there's missile defense. We're, you know, we are, we're in a fight. And uh, it's not just between Israel and the terrorist Hamas. There we have a lot of interest there. Yep, and it's absolutely. our own national security at stake. Ann Wagner, thank you so much for clearing up the questions about running for re-election. And uh, I find it fascinating, this trip. And I'm sure that there's much more to tell. But thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. We'll uh, have you back soon, obviously. You bet. I can't wait. And and, then all blessings of the New Year to uh, your listeners and to your family, too. Take Take, care. Yeah, thank you, Ann. Take care. Oh, Sue, I have an Aaron Rodgers update this afternoon. He's been booted from Pat McAfee's show now. Really? Yeah, that was an interesting development after what happened yesterday. I have, you know, you did this... um, this amazing, uh, what would you call it, exercise with the FBI yesterday. You did a shooting simulator with um, different scenarios, and it reminded me of something that I saw years ago from a TV station in Arizona. So I want to play that and match it up with your experience yesterday. Oh, okay. And we'll do that in the 4 o'clock hour. I also have some uh, really cool audio to share. Alex Rich will be here from Y98. So we're going to have fun in the 4 o'clock hour plus Sue's News. I mean, you can't, yeah, well, can't yeah. forget that. Uh, with us right now, Will Sharp, former federal prosecutor. He's running for Missouri Attorney General on the Republican side. Also is one of President Trump's lawyers and was there for the immunity hearing in D.C. Will, how are you this afternoon? Doing great. Doing great. How are y'all? Good. Before I get to President Trump, were you able to, um, to follow what happened in the Oversight Committee hearing with Hunter Biden this morning or not? I saw some of the sort of the top lines in the news, including that a heckler asked him what his favorite kind of crack was, well, which yeah. is hilarious. Yes. Um, but it just goes to show that Hunter really thinks that he's above the law. You know, he defied a congressional subpoena, then showed up basically just to throw a tantrum uh, and then stormed back out before he could face very tough questions about all of his illegal dealings over the years. It's uh, its really pretty incredible. But here's my uh, question constitutionally and for you just procedurally. Some of us are wondering, this was discussed on Fox as well, and I have Congressman Smith coming on later, so I'll ask him. Why couldn't you just, I mean, I get that he evaded the subpoena and everything, then he shows up, there's no doubt that it's a stunt, there's a documentary being made, all that. But why not call their bluff and start asking him questions. Why couldn't they do that? Because it almost seems, Will, that the the Republicans, I'm telling you, because the media is not on their side, they may have lost the PR battle in this one a little bit. Yeah, I'll tell you an even more radical option that they have. So there are two ways to prosecute contempt if you're the House of Representatives. One is to make a criminal referral to the Department of Justice, uh, asking them to prosecute somebody for contempt. The other is that the House has an inherent contempt power. And they actually, I believe, have a small jail in the basement of the U.S. Capitol. I think it would have been great if Republican congressmen called for Hunter to be summarily held in contempt and, and locked up and, and forced him that way to comply with these subpoenas with the process that there's out there. Against okay, them. well, along those lines, Nancy Mace actually did. I think that, uh, that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. I think you should have decorum and courtesy and don't act like a bunch of 
Nimrod. You well, that's the Democrats blaming the Republicans. But I, I just think it's interesting because there were opportunities to maybe ask him some questions, and we'll see if that ever surfaces again. Let's get to the immunity hearing in D.C. There were arguments made, and I don't know how much you participated in the actual arguments before a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit on the issue of presidential immunity. Tell me what happened in your take and what these judges might rule, Will. Yeah, so my colleague John Sauer was the one arguing for for President Trump. I was sitting at counsel's table between John and President Trump, who showed up in court, which he didn't have to do. Uh, The key here is presidential criminal immunity. Can a president be criminally indicted for official acts that he committed while he was in office? And throughout the entirety of American history, the answer uh, has been no. No former president has ever been indicted for his official acts in office before. Uh, for very good reason. I mean, no president could conduct his responsibilities as president if he had to fear that every single official act he makes, every order that he gives, every communication he has uh, with a department or agency could result in his uh, criminal indictment and prosecution. It's, it's crazy. It strikes to the heart of the constitutional separation of powers. It strikes to the heart of legal principles that go back to the framing of the Constitution, to Marbury versus Madison. Uh, We brought those arguments to that court in D.C. I think John did an outstanding job. Uh, We'll see how this court uh, ends up ruling. Uh, And then the the appellate pathway ahead is to the the on-bank D.C. circuit and ultimately to the U.S. Supreme Court. But we're confident that ultimately uh, President Trump will be found to be immune, uh, that this D.C. prosecution will be thrown out. And uh, and this this campaign of election interference uh, against President Trump will be dealt a very serious blow. So in in the Wall Street Journal this morning, the the headline was um, Donald Trump's presidential immunity appeals meets judges skepticism. So I want to address that and just how the the judges may have you know received some of these arguments. But then they they also said this ahead of the arguments on Tuesday, legal scholars said Trump's appeal strikes at the central tenet of the U.S. legal system: equal justice under the law. Those experts said that Trump's legal challenge amounted to a hail mary attempt that would likely reach the Supreme Court. Well, on the Supreme Court issue, I'm guessing you might agree. But when it comes to a hail mary, I'm guessing you might not see it that way, Will. No, I think that's absolute garbage. Uh, when you look at American constitutional history, when you look at sort of the, the understandings that have underlaid our system of separation of powers uh, of our constitutional system of government, the idea that a president wouldn't be criminally immune from his official acts in office, we're not talking about private acts, we're talking about official acts in office, just doesn't make any sense. And that's why no president has ever before uh, been indicted for official acts in office. If President Trump does not have immunity here, if that's how the courts come down, well, then President Obama could be indicted uh, for a drone strike that killed American citizens. Biden could certainly be indicted uh, for his inaction at the border for criminal negligence with respect to the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Good. Can we As do we that? Said in court, <laughs> I, well, that's, that's, that's where this is going. What we said in court yesterday is this prosecution of President Trump has the opportunity, has the potential to open up a a, a Pandora's box of constant political recrimination and prosecution that will disable the presidency going forward, that will make it impossible for anyone to discharge uh, the obligations of that office and will do serious damage to to our constitutional republic. So what is an expected timing on the appeals court ruling? And then follow up to that is you're expecting this, I'm guessing, to go to the Supremes, right? 
Yeah, I think one way or the other, that's where it'll end up. And, and you know, we've said that this is a, an issue worthy of the Supreme Court. The government actually has also said that, uh, that this this panel of the D.C. Circuit could rule any time. Uh, I'd expect their ruling within a few weeks, but, you know, maybe it takes longer. Uh, after that, we would, uh, if, if we're not successful, uh, we would seek review by the on-bank court, by the entire D.C. Circuit sitting as one. And then from there, uh, I, this case will likely be appealed up to the up to the Supreme Court by either us or the government, depending on how it comes out. And, Will, it's interesting that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear this appeal of the Colorado ruling that he's an insurrectionist and unfit for public office. I think that's really good. But again, we got to wait for those until probably June for any kind of ruling on that. Right. Well, the Colorado case is going to be heard. I believe it's February 8th or 9th. I'd expect the Supreme Court will will rule quickly on that issue. It is 100 percent clear that what Colorado did was totally lawless. Uh, I I could see that easily being a 9-0 decision at the Supreme Court. Uh, The law is so clear that you cannot just kick somebody off a ballot because you disagree with something that they did. Uh, President Trump has never been indicted of insurrection. He certainly has never been convicted of insurrection. There's a question as to a very strong question as to whether Uh, presidents are even covered by this particular provision of the 14th Amendment. For those and about half a dozen other very good legal reasons, uh, I think the Supreme Court's going to overturn the Colorado Supreme Court, and I think President Trump is going to end up being on the ballot in all 50 states. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was nine to nothing? Because that that would really send a message. I I can't imagine that it's going to be a super narrow ruling, but it is important. And I think that, um, you know, look, I've made the case, and I know that we even have Uh, I think a senator in Missouri right now introducing legislation, maybe a little bit tongue in cheek on this, but I think he can make more of a case on the erection. The (laughs) I did what I did what someone else did today on the insurrection issue. I'm going to tell you why that happens soon in a second. It's not because of personal reasons that, you know, the border (laughs) issue is more insurrectionist than any of this. Right. You know, I think Joe Biden has comprehensively undermined the rule of law, undermined our constitutional system of government in so many ways. And that's what's been so dangerous about this administration, whether it's the border, whether it's the political prosecution and persecution of President Trump. Joe Biden is hell bent on undermining settled expectations, settled understandings of the way our republic is supposed to work. And it's just really scary. I never thought we'd be here as a country, uh, but that's where we are. And that's why it's so important that conservatives stand up and fight against what they're doing. So, by the way, just because I have to save myself here a little bit, I'm going to say it was, you know, subconscious. This is Congresswoman Jayapal making the same slip that I just did at a hearing. Let's talk about the fact that President Trump incited an erection. Uh, and <laughs> maybe that, too. <laughs> you know, some laughs there in Congress. you got to lighten it up sometime. Will, thank you so much for coming on here this afternoon. And obviously, I mean, I want to state the obvious just a little bit here for the audience, and you can respond the way that you um, see fit. But there, there are people that are saying, I'm not saying you're doing this for the, the motivational reasons, but you are hoping as a candidate for attorney general to get an endorsement from this former president, right? I, I think every Republican candidate in the country wants to be endorsed by President Trump. But I'll just say this. The reason we got involved in this case is because of how important these core constitutional issues are. Uh, it's an honor to represent President Trump on these issues. Uh, I, I think we're going to have some real successes in the coming months. Uh, and it's just really important, I think, that conservatives who believe like we do are willing to, you know, frankly, put their necks on the line. Uh, it's not easy, you know, putting yourself out in the public arena uh, the way that, that John and I and our other colleagues have. 
but I think it's really, really important now more than ever. Will, good luck with everything. Happy New Year to you. We will talk soon. I appreciate you coming on here this afternoon. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. All right, take care. One of the things, and I, I ran out of time here, but we're going to get into this with Phil Holloway a little later. Uh, there's another interesting aspect of all this with Trump involving Fannie Willis, who is the prosecutor down there in Fulton County in Atlanta, because she's the one that is spearheading the uh, racketeering case against Trump, right? Mm. So you you have juxtaposed with that this um, this situation where she's accused of having an affair with someone that she also, her office in Fulton County paid money to for legal services, like a lot of money. In two years, $625,000. She had an affair with this guy and apparently is also being called to testify in his divorce proceedings. So she's the special prosecutor. Um, There's interest. And I don't understand it all. I'm going to tell you right now. I can't explain all of it to you, but that's sort of a sidebar thing that's happening right now. And I think, and this is why I want to talk to Phil about it, that there are people that feel that that, look, there are things that could bring her down, which then also bring down the entire case against Trump in the Atlanta area. So stay tuned to that. We'll get into that a little bit later. Phil Holloway in the five o'clock hour. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 